what is the future of the Biden presidency in the aftermath of the passage of his infrastructure plan? How does the crisis in Bosnia impact U.S.-European relations? Welcome to your weekly political briefing. Today is Tuesday, November 16th. Andrew, can you explain the recent developments with President Biden's domestic agenda? On Monday, November 15th, Joe Biden signed the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act into law. Although the Senate passed the proposal by a bipartisan 69-30 to 30 vote in August, stalled negotiations on Biden's Build Back Better plan caused a delay in the House vote on the bill. Nonetheless, after major instances of party infighting, the House passed the bill on November 5th by a 228-206 to 206 vote. Due to the package being separate from the Build Back Better plan, progressive Democrats such as Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and five of her colleagues voted against it because they desire both plans to be passed. However, the bill was able to be passed due to 13 Republicans crossing the aisle for it. Coincidentally, these Republicans represent suburban swing districts, and many of them supported the impeachment of former President Trump after the January 6th riots. In fact, the former president attacked these Congress members during a speech last week. He noted that Republicans could have blocked the measure if they all voted no. Trump called for the removal of these Republicans from key leadership positions, such as John Katko, a moderate from New York, who currently holds a position on the House Homeland Security Committee. Supporters of the former president have also attacked the moderate Republican members of Congress. Some have even emailed or called these Republicans to share death threats. Both Fred Upton, an 18-term moderate from Michigan, and Andrew Gabarino, a first-term congressman representing Long Island, New York, received numerous threats. Gabarino said, quote, It's amazing that people want to kill me over paving roads and clean water. The sentiments against the moderate Congress members are shared by Trump-supporting members of Congress, like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Greene called them, quote, traitors after the passage of the bill. Biden praised Friday's House vote as, quote, a monumental step forward which will ease inflation pressures and lower costs for working families. The bill represents a major policy achievement for the president since it is the largest federal investment into infrastructure in over a decade. While the previous bill was backed by nearly every Democrat and a majority of Republicans, the narrow margin of passage for Biden's plan reflects the increased partisanship in Congress. Biden's plan costs $1.2 trillion. It includes a $110 billion in funding to build roads, bridges, and other projects. $65 billion will be going to expanding broadband internet and access, $55 billion into water systems, notably for lead pipe replacement. The additional funds will go towards upgrading rail systems and public transit, and the construction of more electric car charging stations. The act has been heavily opposed throughout the legislative process. Republicans objected to the federal safety net programs that were in the original bill's plans, as well as the financial price tag that came with it. Furthermore, Democratic moderates feared the financial impact of the act on an economy already damaged by the effects of the coronavirus. As a result of the bipartisan opposition to the initial proposal, President Biden and Democratic leadership proposed this version of the bill as an alternative to the initial one. Since this version was passed, what's next? The president is mounting a tour around the country to promote the bill. As part of the tour, Biden hopes to talk directly with voters to inform them of how the bill will positively impact their communities. President Biden is conducting this tour due to the lessons he learned as vice president. After the passage of the Affordable Care Act, President Obama did not discuss its implications with voters, thereby allowing Republicans to control the narrative. Joel Payne, a Democratic strategist who oversaw the passage of the Affordable Care Act, 
recognized this and declared that Biden's decision to sell his plan to voters is, quote, critical. The Biden administration is also focusing on urging Congress to pass the Build Back Better plan, a $1.75 trillion social safety bill that appeals to the more progressive side of the Democratic Party. While that bill was supposed to be passed on the same day as the infrastructure plan, moderate Democrats in the House announced that they would not back it until an economic analysis of the measure would be provided, thereby delaying the vote. On November 6th, the House passed a procedural vote which allows for the eventual passage of the plan. This vote was the first time that the Democrats united in support of it. Biden must maintain this unity and get key moderate senators Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kristen Sinema of Arizona to support the proposal in order to have a chance of passing his second landmark legislation of the year. Meanwhile, a political crisis is plaguing Bosnia, leading to uncertainty in the future of U.S. relations with the small Balkan nation. U.S. officials are getting involved in Bosnia and Herzegovina because of frustrations with the European Union's handling of the nationalist leader Milorad Dodik. Many commentators view this situation as the nation's worst crisis since the 1990s war and subsequent genocide. Milorad Dodik, the Serb representative in the country's three-way presidency, has threatened to create a rebel Serb army. He has also boycotted the country's central institutions and hopes to withdraw his fellow Bosnian Serbs from the Bosnian government entirely. Dodik started this conflict after a law was passed in July banning the denial of the 1995 Srebrenica genocide. Gabriel Escobar, the U.S. Special Envoy to the Western Balkans, visited Bosnia over two days and has declared that it was productive, resulting in Dodik being willing to withdraw legislation that would weaken the nation's institutions. However, Dodik's later press conference proved to contradict the diplomat's claim. The Serbian representative said that his team will, quote, continue with our goal to send certain laws to the Parliament of the Republika Srpska." With, and withdraw our consent from issues such as the army, indirect taxation, the court system, and that we will draft new legislation in the next six months. From 1992 to 1995, the region witnessed a major conflict. After Bosnia declared its independence from the former totalitarian nation of Yugoslavia, the three major ethnic groups, including the Croats, Serbs, and Bosniaks, fought for control over territory that contained substantial numbers of all three groups. The Civil War was the worst conflict on European soil since World War II, resulting in the deaths of 100,000 people and the displacement of 2 million. During the war in the 1990s, the Serbians attempted ethnic cleansing of the Bosniak Muslims. As a result of this genocide, President Bill Clinton decided to support U.S. intervention in the region. In 1995, the United States joined NATO in initiating Operation Deliberate Force, an airstrike campaign aimed at lessening the violence. After the military operation, President Clinton took charge of drafting a peace agreement to end the war. The result of the negotiations was the 1995 Dayton Peace Accords, which split Bosnia into two ethnic regions. The Republika Srpska is inhabited by Orthodox Serbs, and the Federation of Bosnia and Herzegovina is dominated by Catholic, Croats, and Muslim Bosnians. The agreement provides autonomy and self-government to both ethnic regions. Each region has its own constitution and political parties. The federal government of Bosnia and Herzegovina is a parliamentary democracy composed of a legislator and a presidency. As mentioned earlier, the presidency is composed of three officials, each representing each ethnic group.
The structure of government provided by the Dayton Agreement has lasted for over two decades without major difficulties. Nonetheless, the lessening of international influence has caused ethnic tensions to resurface. Perhaps the most significant of these tensions is Dodik's call for the secession of Republika Serbska. The Bosnian-Serbian secessionist movement is supported by Russia and the neighboring Serbian nation. Although the United States and European Union oppose the movement, they have not placed major diplomatic pressure on it until recently. Dodik's movement has faced backlash by both Croats and Bosnians. The Croats proposed a law that would allow them alone to choose their political representatives, which is now not the case. The Bosniaks are advocating for the continuation of a unified nation. In a report to the UN Security Council, Bosnia's International Peace Envoy warned of a possible war being imminent. He said that, quote, prospects for further division and conflict are very real. Dodik says that he hopes to peacefully secede rather than start a war. Dodik has been a key figure in Bosnian politics for over two decades. His style reflects other right-wing populist and nationalist leaders in Europe, like Hungary's Viktor Orban. He has come under fire by the international community because he continuously denies that the slaughter of 8,000 Bosniaks in Srebrenica during the war constitutes genocide. He also uses harsh language against Muslims and the Bosniak community. Bosnia has a 10,000-member army with ethnic quotas to ensure equal representation of the three major ethnic groups. But Dodik claims that the Bosniaks are planning on taking over the army to overpower the Croats and Serbs. Escobar remains hopeful and is utilizing the future opportunity for Bosnia to join the EU as a negotiating tool. He noted how the U.S. helped decrease tensions between Syria and Kosovo in regards to a border dispute. The U.S. imposed sanctions on Dodik, barring him from traveling to the United States and freezing his U.S.-based assets. But Escobar warned that more sanctions will be enacted if the leader does not step back. Other nations have also threatened to impose measures. Leaders of Germany announced their intention to cut financial ties with Bosnia if the conflict is not resolved. Andrea Sass, the German Foreign Ministry spokesperson, said that the conflict is, quote, totally irresponsible and unacceptable. In an attempt to ease tensions, the leaders of Bosnia are hoping to have the nationalist leader of Turkey, Recep Erdogan, to mediate negotiations. That's all for today's episode. We would like to thank our staff, Celeste Rosendale, Lawton Bauer, Trent Warnock, and Mylena Furman. I'm Christine Sells. And I'm Andrew Thompson. Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to tune in next Tuesday.